0: Amen. What a beautiful hymn. We're turning this morning to Colossians chapter one I'm going to read again from verse 24 to the end. This will be the last occasion that we'll probably read from Colossians chapter 1 during this series of expository sermons there's one last message that i want to preach on this morning chapter one colossians chapter one we're going to read from verse 24 let's hear the word of god reading of course as we've often said from the authorized verse but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. whereunto I also labor, Striving according to his working Which worketh in me mightily Amen We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing This reading of his own precious and infallible word Now this morning we are continuing With our series of expository sermons in the book of Colossians And my text today is taken from Colossians chapter 1 verse 29 the final verse. And it would have been very easy to skip over this verse. We've already preached, I think, 20 or 21 sermons in this chapter, which I'm truly amazed at. But this will be the final sermon in chapter one. Listen to the verse. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily." Now, I want to preach on the theme today, experiencing the amazing power of God. Because this text is talking about the amazing power of God. Now let's remember the apostle Paul is writing to the church at Colossae in the first person. He says in verse 23, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. And he continues talking about himself all the way down to Colossians chapter 2 verse 5. He's writing in the first person. And he's writing to us about his mindset to his life's work and his ministry. In other words, he's writing to us about his life as a gospel minister. He's writing to us about why and the way that he labored the church in Colossae in the way that he did. I believe the Apostle Paul had a tremendous burden to labor to see people saved. I believe Paul had a tremendous burden to pray to this end. He could say with the psalmist, but I gave myself to pray. I believe that the Apostle Paul labored to see God's people in Colossae and elsewhere to become fully mature Christians. In other words, he labored to see them become sanctified and holy, set apart for the master's use. And it's in that light that I want us to think of these words. Listen to them again. We're to. I also labor. You've got to link it up with verse 28 that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus were unto. I also labor, notice these words, striving. We'll come back to that word and explain it in a moment. According to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Now, as I've thought of this text of scripture, thought of our theme, i thought to myself that, Illustrates and underscores a very wonderful, significant Bible truth that so often we can forget, the power of God. But it's not just about the amazing power of God. It's about actually experiencing the amazing power of God in an individual's life. For unto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me my delight. Now, three things this morning from this text. The essential principles that is underlined. Think of the words, His working which worketh in me mightily. You see, these words are truly amazing in that they cover, I believe, the essential nature of what New Testament Christianity is all about. What is New Testament Christianity really all about? See, these words sum up the reality of the life and witness of the New Testament church. If you think with me for a moment of the New Testament era, go back to the first century, think with me of such texts as Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Remember what the angels said to the... um, Holy Apostles, as they watched the ascension of Christ, this is what was said. Acts 1 verse 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon ye, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. You see, literally, God was at work In and through his people, his holy apostles, the preachers, the evangelists, the children's workers, the youth workers, the people themselves. New Testament Christianity is really a religion of the power of God. It's about a church being on fire for God because God is at work in and through that church. And if we were to examine the New Testament era We would discover that the church was nothing like a circus We would discover that it was not full of con men and charlatans But we would discover if we looked in through the door and the windows that great things were happening. Why were great things were happening? Why were souls being saved? Why was there mighty prayer meetings? Why was there this hatred for sin and love for righteousness? Because the power of God was at work. God was at work in great power. There was a mighty display of the dynamite, the explosive energy of God. Oh, that we could rediscover that. In other words, Christianity is real. The church is real. The Christians are real. Because God was at work. Because God was working. I want to emphasize that. To all who are listening, New Testament Christianity is real. Because God is at work. And God was at work in a genuine, awesome, gracious way that there was an amazing display of his power. You think this morning of the Church of Christ. You you think of the presentation of the gospel message. You see, the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ, it's nothing to do with the philosophy of men. It's certainly not a theory of men's minds. It's not even a code of ethics so that we can live by. It's not. The gospel message is a declaration and a display of the awesome power of God. Over there in 1 Thessalonians chapter uh, 1 and verse 5, we read this. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. The Apostle Paul says this in Hebrews chapter 4 and in the verse 12, thinking about the Word of God. Listen to this text of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. For the Word of God is quick and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And Paul could also say this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and the verse 10, he he made this statement, 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 10, he says this, "Um, we are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ, We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. And he says in verse 20, 1 Corinthians 4 verse 20, For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. You see, the true church of Christ is a unique institution with a unique message. And it's unique because God is at work in and through that church as it presents that message. That makes the true gospel unique. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And not only is the church and the gospel message unique, but then the Christian is a unique individual. Because that individual discovers God is at work in and through him. Now, here's the principles. All our work is in vain unless God works in and through us. Remember what it says there in Psalm 127 and in the verse 1. This is not just a New Testament concept. This is an Old Testament concept. Listen to what the psalmist said. Psalm 127, verse 1. Except the Lord build the house, the labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but In vain You see We can't do it without the Lord All our working is in vain It's useless, it's empty It's powerless Without God Working mightily All our work and effort Will come to nothingness It'll be utterly worthless Because God must work And that's true about building a Christian Home That's true about the Christian life. That's true about Christian witness. That's true about the life and witness of the church. No matter what the church attempts to do in his name. Jesus said in John 15 and 3, Without me, you can do what? Nothing. Underline the word nothing. Therefore, we need the Lord. And that's true individually, but it's true collectively. And if we're going to see graces in our life, then the Lord must work in and through us. Regardless of what that grace is. If we're going to see fruit in our life, even the fruit of holiness, any particular fruit, then the Lord must work in and through us. If we're going to see a manifestation of the gifts of God, then God must work in and through us. We need the Lord. See, God must work. We must labor to see the working of God because all our work is in vain unless God works in and through us. So, therefore, we need the Lord. So, we cry out, Lord, help us. And here's the second principle we must labor if we want to see God work. See, we can't expect God to labor if we don't labor. God works where his people work. God works where the preacher works. God works when the gospel is proclaimed, not in word only, but in the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. How could we expect God to build a house if they that build it don't rise up and build? Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. But there has to be labour, there has to be input And what applies to a house, a family It can apply to the church The life of the Christian If we don't labour and expend energy Then we'll not see God work The Apostle Paul is saying, look at verse 29 here Where unto I also what? He uses the word labour And that's to do with hard work and some of you know what that is. And if you think of the ads, the words here, striving, that has to do with an athletic term. You think of the agony of the athlete preparing to uh, run a game or perform in any particular sport, that there has to be drive and discipline and desire. And here's Paul. and he's saying, "We're on. I also work hard." For unto I also not only work hard, but, but agonize to the point of exhaustion according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. In other words, Paul and God are co-workers. We can apply the principle to the business world. I can apply the principle to the farming world. But let's apply it to the Christian community, the Christian world. Each of us has a personal responsibility to work out what God works in us. And remember what we read in Philippians 2. We read this, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you, both the will and to do, of his good pleasure. Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Paul's telling us I labored in Colossae as a minister of the gospel to the point of exhaustion where I got myself tired where I had to literally crawl into bed at times and I did it even to the point of agonization because God was at work in me mightily and what's true then is true now these two principles hold true then And they hold good and true today We must labor if we want to see God work And we will not see God work Unless we give ourselves to labor God hasn't changed The gospel hasn't changed The nature of the church hasn't changed I heard recently This thought God is dead What does that mean? Somebody telling you God is dead Well we know it's an heretical thing God is dead But those that say God is dead They don't mean it in the sense that He's no longer alive What they actually mean when they say God is dead That God is no longer active God is no longer working God is no longer intervening or interested in the affairs of men. God is just sitting back. God is watching things from afar. God is doing nothing. God doesn't care. But I want to tell you it's not true. Because here's Paul telling us that he was striving according to his working. And he told us his working worked in me mightily. And yes, I know today we have an empty form of Christianity. I know today we have a professing church. I know today all that's going on, the circus that's carried on in some places, the charlatans that are there, the the, uh, corruption that is going on. Some think, but we can't expect to see the power of God at work in the lives of men as in the first century. But I want to tell them they're wrong we need, we must see the intervention of God in the 21st century. Why? Because God is still all-powerful. God is on the throne. Absolute power belongeth unto the Lord. God is not dead, young people. God is very much alive. God is. He's existent. He is eternally present. But God is active in this world. And what's true in the first century is true in the 21st. People can. God's people can. God's people do experience the genuine power of God working in through them individually and collectively. And that's the first thing. The essential principles that's underlined. The second thing from this text is this. The essential properties... That is understood. If we think of the words according to his working which worketh in me, I want you to think of the areas, the aspects of the properties where God works. Well, think first of all of the area or aspect of salvation. Behind me in the pulpit, we've got this beautiful text: salvation is of the Lord. What does that mean? Well, we've told you before, salvation's all of God. From start to finish, it's all of God's free sovereign grace. Ephesians 2 and 1 says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. I want you to think of a dead man. Can he see? Can he hear? Can he react? Can he get up and jump about and shout? No, he can't. What does that dead man need? He needs a spiritual resurrection. He needs an infusion of the life of God. And that's exactly what God does in the new birth. And you see, sinners are no, not just dead sinners, dead in trespassing and sin, but sinners are under the domain and dominion of the power of darkness. All men, naturally speaking, are under the control of the power of darkness. And therefore, they're they're not only dead to the gospel, but but the devil has blinded their hearts and minds to that gospel message. Dead to its truth, dead to its life. Under the control and dominion of the evil one. 1 John 5 and 19 says, the whole world lieth in the lap of wickedness. Ephesians 6 and 12 identifies who the spiritual dark forces are that are at work in the world. And a man could be religious, a man could be respectable, a man could be responsible, but outside of Jesus Christ, outside the experience of God's salvation, that man is dead, dead in trespasses, and that man is spiritually dark, that man is spiritually deprived. that man's life is under the control of the devil. And as he lives out his life, he's been spiritually energized by the prince and power of the air. Oh, we need to remember to identify the enemy. Our enemy's not flesh and blood. We need to see beyond flesh and blood. We need to see the enemy who's empowering and energizing them, the unseen dark forces at work in the world, in the hearts and lives of men and women. You see, the devil is active. And we see the devil's work all around us. And we see it an incredible manifestation of it in our day and generation. And we listen to the folly of ungodly men, we see their filth, we, we, we see their failures. Many are religious, many are respectable, many are responsible men. But as they live out their lives on a natural level, they're dead, they're dark, they're depraved, they're under the control of the devil. And what do they need? need to experience the mighty power of God in salvation. They need to know and experience the new birth. Jesus said, you must be born again. I think of our wee country at the moment. What hope is there for Northern Ireland? What is Northern Ireland's greatest need? It needs the power of the living God to apply the power of the gospel. It needs the liberating power of Christ because John 8 and 32 says, to whom the Son sets free, Is free indeed Isn't that a tremendous truth The truth shall set you free And here's the son of man The son of God To whom Jesus Christ sets free That man is free indeed We need the gospel of course Preached in the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit Because there's only one who's stronger than the devil And young people That person is Jesus Christ and he alone can open the eyes of the blind. He can, alone can open the ears of the deaf. He's the one who can touch the hard heart and change and transform that heart and make that individual a new creature in Christ who could turn the persecutor into a preacher. He did that with Paul. Turned the blasphemer into a Bible believer. You see, Paul experienced the power of God in the Damascus road. The one stronger than the strong man came. And Christ was working in the fullness of his power to save Paul's soul and convert Saul of Tarsus to become Paul, the mighty apostle. That's what you need. You have no strength to make you see your own sin. You're never going to understand you've got an immortal soul, that you need a savior. Unless God opens your eyes, unless God changes you. You'll never see your vileness, your ugliness, or your sin oh, Unless the Lord does that mighty work upon you in the new birth Think of the aspect of sanctification Here's another um, outworking of this God's people experience God's power at work in and through them As they strive to live a holy life are commanded in the Bible to live a holy life. Remember in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 3, we read, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. We have a responsibility to live a holy life, and that requires work and effort on our part. And as we give ourselves to that, God works in and through us. Someone has rightly put it, we get out what we put in. And if you put a lot of effort into living a holy life and hating sin and loving righteousness, then you're going to get a lot of effort out. And if you strive to hate sin and love righteousness, you'll discover the mighty power of God at work in and through you. And you'll realize I'm not doing this in my own energy and my own strength. God has given me this ability. You see, therefore, we've got to diligently apply the means of grace. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 27. He was thinking about the subject of boxing. He says, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I've preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. In other words, Paul says, I'm punching my body. I'm mortifying my body. I'm denying myself. Does the Bible not encourage us to build up yourselves in your most holy faith? Are we not commanded to earnestly contend for the faith? Are we not commanded to buy the truth and sell it not? You see, we have a duty and responsibility to apply hard work and effort in this particular area too. The area of our sanctification. What's God's will for you? To be holy and live a holy life before him. The motto should be holiness unto the Lord. How will that happen? In a vacuum? The answer is no. Let me apply it to the aspect of service. Paul says, "Whereunto I also labor. I've told you the word labor means hard work. Joshua, remember, said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And where does service start? It starts with a desire. Who gives you that desire? Uh, and it starts with a decision, or it leads on to a decision. Uh, and then it leads to a determination. Uh, and, and, then, and then there's the outworking of duty. You've heard the name of George Whitfield, Whitfield College of the Bible. He's a tremendous biography in the port-a-cabin next door. And I was thinking earlier, when I was locked up for those few days... Of the times in which George Whitfield lived. I was thinking about the parallel to our day. The similarities are truly amazing. Here is George Whitfield. A young man working in a place called the Bell Tavern. He was drawing beer. He was serving it to customers. And something amazing happened in his life young people. I'll tell you what it was. He got saved. He was born again of the Spirit of God. And from the moment he got saved. He felt the power of God at work in his life. And he went off then to Oxford And he uh, studied there and he became a companion also uh, with um, John Wesley and uh, Charles Wesley. And after he got converted, he had this burden to carry the gospel forth. And his preaching was simple, straightforward. You must be born again. And you know, he touched England. He touched New England In the United States of America. And his life and witness had a powerful impact. Upon the life and witness of the church. I was thinking of Micah. But I'm full of power. By the Spirit of God. How can we serve the Lord? We can only serve the Lord. As the Lord works in the through us. He creates the desire. He he helps us to make that decision. He, He brings us to that place of determination and duty. Think of the aspect of sufferings. Do we not live in a day when many are experiencing persecutions in the world? Have you ever thought to yourself if fierce persecution came to the United Kingdom, what would we do as Christians? Would we have the grace and power to live and die for Jesus Christ? Would we face the loss of privileges, the loss of possessions, this was this thing that perplexed a lady called Corrie Ten Boom many, many years ago. She experienced in her family the death of a baby. And of course, the death of a baby is very traumatic in the life of any family. But she became fearful for her family. She had a father, mother. She had three aunts living with them. She had brothers and sisters. She's thinking, what's, what's going to happen if they all die as a young girl? What's going to happen to me? Where will I get the grace and power to carry on and live? She told this to her dad, and this is what he said to her. He said to her, Corrie, if I was giving you a train ticket to Amsterdam, when do I give it to you? Do I give it to you two weeks before or the day you go? And she says, well, dad, you give it to me the day I go. And he says, well, that's exactly right. That's what God does. God will only give you grace When you need it. And if you're called upon to live and die. As a Christian. If you're called upon to make a stand. If you're called upon to suffer terrible things. And even though you're fearful and fretting. And fear the worst. Even if it means jail and imprisonment. Or even death. God will give you grace. At that moment when you need it. Isn't that exactly what the psalmist said? Listen to these words in Psalm 71 and verse 16, he made this tremendous statement. psalm 71 and verse 16, he said this, "I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of thy righteousness, even of thine only. I will go." How did he do it? In the strength of the Lord God. And over there in the book of Isaiah, if we tie this in in Isaiah chapter 26 and in the verse 12, We read this, Lord, thou wilt ordain peace for us. For thou also hast wrought all our works in us. Could I apply this for a moment to the area of supplication? How can you pray? How can you wrestle in prayer? How can you give yourself to prayer? Like Epaphras did in Colossians 4 and 12. Remember what we read there, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers. That ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God? How can we pray like men like David Brainard? Men like George Muller? Hi, Well, there's not a simple answer. Start to pray. If you've got the desire, then you start to pray. You have a clear duty. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Hebrews 11 and verse 6. But without faith it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And it's your warder of them that diligently seek him. And you're saying, but, but, but I feel so cold. I feel so weak, Lord. Lord, I feel out of sorts. How do I pray? Well, you start to pray. There has to be a beginning. You must begin. Here's the starting point. Even when you don't feel like it, then you start to Pray. Remember the lady, the Syrophoenician woman, came to Christ. And what did she pray? Lord, help us. That was the start of her prayer. Lord, help us. And that could be a start to prayer. You can't do it in your own strength or power. What about the aspect of strength itself? Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ with strength of me. Where could I get daily strength to carry on what I'm facing? I'm facing trials and troubles right now in my life. My world's upside down. I'm suffering illness. We've suffered bereavement. We've suffered this and that and the other. I feel I can't cope and I can't go on. I want to quit. Where do you get the strength from? Here's the answer. God works in us as we give ourselves to this work. And that applies to the area of witness, That applies to help in trying circumstances. That even applies to not growing weary and well-doing. How do you get the strength to carry on? How do you get the strength to apply the means of grace? You drag yourself before the Lord. You cry out, Lord, help me. Lord, remember me. Grant me grace. I I want to do this, Lord, but I can't in my own strength or power. It applies to the aspect of soul winning. Paul was a soul winner. He worked hard, almost to the point of exhaustion, to seek to win souls, even though he never actually had set foot in Colossae. One of his converts, Epaphras, brought the gospel. He was the minister of Colossae, remember. But Paul labored for this people in prayer. He labored to see them go on with God and get through with the Lord. I strive, he says, that you might go on with God. I strive that you might live for God. And, 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 and I'm doing it in the power of God See maybe you think But there's nothing for God to work at But there is You think of these areas And I've only outlined some of them this morning Soul winning Strength Supplication Suffering Service Sanctification It's all here Even salvation One final thing Our time has gone Think of the essential purpose That is unique Not only the essential principles That's underscored And the essential properties That's understood But think of the essential purpose That's unique Whereunto I also labor Striving according to his working Which worketh in me mightily Underline the word mightily It's an adverb You see there's two purposes When God is at work One That God is glorified. No flesh shall glory in his presence. He said, My glory I will not give to another. And also, here's the second purpose that God's work is fulfilled. God has a plan, and he's carrying out that plan. And he doesn't use movements, he uses men. And he's looking for men, young men, young women. Older men and older women. I was just thinking as I finished this morning, there's a report out at some school had stopped a number of Muslim boys having a time of prayer in the morning, praying to Allah one of their five times for prayer during the day. And they're kneeling down outside the school against some wall and their school bags are behind them. And I just thought, how many of us as young Christian men would openly witness to give ourselves to prayer in the open air if we were denied a classroom to pray in in a school. You see, God has a plan and purpose. And God is going to be glorified. And God's purpose is going to be fulfilled. But it will only be glorified and fulfilled when we experience these properties and we fulfill these principles. I trust and pray this morning the Lord will take these few words and bless them to us and help us at this particular time.